Bad, bad sensel. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, man. Really good. Thanks for taking the time to to chat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I so see you've got your, your guitarist behind you. You're like... You know. Little studio work this morning. Everything was going fine. Broke the jack on my telly. Oh, uh, no. And spilled carbonated water all over my favorite shirt. Oh, well... But other than that, life is good. Yeah. I, I imagine you have a closet of TKO shirts somewhere, right? Yeah, the wife keeps... Uh, they keep disappearing downstairs and i mm -hmm. trust they're well kept that's funny that's funny you know you could probably you know sell some of those for a, a decent amount because you know you know oddly enough i had the greatest collection of t-shirts and i learned this lesson on the road i collected uh shirts you know on the tours and i i the rare time i checked into the hotel and had three days off which you never hear of anymore um i i put my clothes away right neatly in the drawers which is a very non-rock thing to do <laughs> right and uh morning came you know we partied for two and a half days and all of a sudden it was time to get on the bus and okay grabbed my bag out the door i went i i lost like 20 great classic shirts oh, man up to this day yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing what the kids are willing to pay for the vintage shirts now. Oh you know? yeah. yeah, they'll just, you know, hundreds of dollars, you know, for a for a shirt that, um, I mean, honestly, you know, probably was like six or seven dollars, you know, right. back in the day. But that's where the tickets. <laughs> yeah, and then you have all these companies that that are creating replica T-shirts and making right. a, you know an and absolute worn killer. by Hollywood elites. Yeah, exactly. They've exactly. never heard the music. Yeah, it's like you see some actress who who is wearing like a, a Venom T-shirt. Right. I was like, I I doubt she even knows who the fuck they are. Right. Right. You know, um, one of the biggest selling ones that I've seen is is Bathory. So whoever is doing their marketing actually created these these hoodies, Bathory hoodies, and I see them all the time. You know, and like young kids, like there's no way they know who Bathory is. Right. You know. Right. Um, yeah. So. Brad, you have a really fascinating and 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 I believe your words were checkered past, um, or or something along those lines. Checkered, I think, was the word. Um, so you got your start. You're originally from Yakima, right? Yep. Okay. So, um, I I know you've posted a couple pictures of of um, you know, shows that you did like when you were in high school or junior high or whatever it was. But right. What was your first official band you know like non-covers just you know uh my buddy ronnie came up with the name eccentric express nice that's a good one nice and that was 1966. wow wow our first gig was at a mormon church for some reason they decided to have a dance mm -hmm. and we got up and started playing our three song repertoire <laughs> and the guy in charge came up stop the show guitar player wasn't wearing the shoes and um, he said where are your shoes don't you have any morals and danny ditmar said no i left them at home with my shoes <laughs> that's beautiful so that that launched what my career was to become that, that's okay perfect perfect <laughs> so when did you migrate to seattle like i mean what what, what happened there 
1972, I left Yakima, which for those of you who don't know, is in the center of the state of Washington uh, and 132 miles from downtown Seattle. Right. I left in 72 to, to um, seek my fortune in the big city. Mm-hmm. And it took me, you know, I, I filtered in and out of some really bad characters. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, which um, finally I hooked up with Rick Pierce, who's also from Yakima. Mm-hmm. He's a TKOer, um, Q5er. Uh, he's got his own solo project now, but we go back to junior high. Mm-hmm. Uh, hooked up with him. Um with this odd band that played Alice Cooper, David Bowie, and Led Zeppelin. Very strange combo. Mm-hmm. Combo. Definitely. Um, I think we were called Sherlock. Very, cool. very British sounding. Mm-hmm. Did, yeah. did you have the the affected accent when you sang? Did you do actually? Like <laughs> actually, this is the first time I've told this story. Oh, perfect. Good. I like those. This is, this is the first time. My debut was as Bradford Toynbee. Mm-hmm. From to this day, I can't pronounce it. Worcestershire, Sire? Worcestershire. Yeah, that's it. Worcestershire. And, yeah, perfect. And depending on how many drinks I had, I'd start out with a very David Niven. Hello. <laughs> by the end of the night, it was very it. Cockney. Hey. Yeah. Perfect. And I, I don't think, you know, anybody really caught on to it. <laughs> well, I think it's because, especially back then, everyone just assumed that, that a rock band was British. It helped. It yeah, actually definitely. Helped definitely. You have that edge, you know. So I said, yeah. sure, sure, I'll do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So this would have been like right before. Now, again, the information on this stuff is is kind of hit and miss, but... That would have been shortly before um, Z Wiz Kids and and the fab. It was the fabulous Pickle Sisters or just the Pickle yes, Sisters? Yes, the fabulous Pickle Sisters. Yeah. So there, so there's a lack of information about all that shit. Sherlock became the fabulous Pickle Sisters. Oh, perfect! Great. They continued to make money by playing dances. Um, worst dance band in the world. Our slow song was "I'm 18" by Alice Cooper. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Love it. And what what is the relationship between the Wiz Kids and and the Fabulous Pickle Sisters? Um, they approached Rick Pierce, as I recall. Mm-hmm. He asked somebody who witnessed four people who witnessed an accident. But you'll get four different answers. Right. As I recall, it was uh, somebody approached Rick from the Wiz Kids. They were a comedy troupe. Mm-hmm. extremely outrageous and extremely gay mm-hmm. and uh they wanted to take that comedy and start singing and okay. none of them could really i think two of them could could you know nail a tune mm-hmm. maybe three um but um that ended up tornadoing into us uh on the bill, the the Pickle Sisters were the backup band, and I got to sing two songs uh, in this 
40-minute show that was opening for the New York Dolls at the Moore Theater. That's incredible. Yeah, what a way to start. I invited <laughs> my family there, you know. Oh, that's great. That's cool. <laughs> my dad was like, yeah, it's like, it's like are, the, are those boys or girls? Like, who, wh wh what's up on stage right now? Well, plus, the, the place was swamped with pot, you know. I'm sure. But my dad was very hip, and he was like, you know, I, I wanted to do the rock star thing, so every rock star needs a hotel room. Right. So I went next door to the Moore Hotel, mm -hmm. which has been renovated since then, but it right. was a place for... Um, old sailors, old shoe salesmen, mm -hmm. uh, social security people. It was a dump mm -hmm. and it cost me $5 for the room. So after right. show, I invited my family back to the green room and my dad's again, kind of going, well, this is something. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I lived right across from, from the moor for a couple of years. To this day, whenever I'm in Seattle, I stay at the moor. Do you I really? They redid it. It's mm -hmm. very Euro. Right. Um, it, it, it's a great place. I don't know how it is this week, you know. <laughs> right. You step outside. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's always kind of sketchy. You know, you'd run into somebody sketchy here and there. Oh, yeah. But I haven't been there in two years, so mm. we shall see. I plan on going back. Definitely. Well, let me know when you do. That would be fun. Um, when 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 I lived across from the moor, I was up on like the seventh floor, so I looked in, in like there. Were those floor. those uh, studios directly across, kind of a concrete building? No, that God, I wish I'd lived there. No, no, no. There, there was a, an apartment building um, on the other side of the street. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and so I was up in like the seventh floor, and I would see, I mean, porn shoots all the time. You know, people would rent out the <laughs> the more. And I remember one morning, it was like, you know, five or six o'clock in the morning, and I was having my morning coffee and sitting at my desk that looked right across at the moor. And there's like, you know, a group of three or four people just going at it on the fire escape. You know, it was like, <laughs> okay, well, you know. And after a couple of years living there, I was like, it just became normal. You know, like, yeah, it happens, you know, right. at least two or three times a month. You know, there's there's some gangbang on the on the on the fire escape. That's not more. <laughs> anyway. Um, so. How, how long how long did the, the Fabulous Pickle Sisters last? Uh, they disbanded by summer. OK, so it's very short lived. Yeah, very, very short lived. Some of the best things are. Oh, of course, of course. And I've only seen like maybe two or three videos um, and they're super grainy, like, you know, very bad quality videos of, of uh, um, any of that stuff. Like there's a, there's and a it kind of predates video. Right. So um, the WizKids were uh, around as far back as maybe 71 or maybe even 70, mm -hmm. I think the nucleus of it started in San Francisco and ended up in Seattle. Right. Um, yeah. I just found out not that long ago that, that a friend's mom was somehow related to that whole group. Um, because she made some mention of, of opening for Alice Cooper or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was, that was pre New York doll show. 
that that was an infamous show i'm, I'm sure it the was Alice. yeah and i, I the, got in there hearing you know just outrageous stories and i'm like yeah i want some of this mm-hmm there is some really, really, really bad video of, of that show. And if I remember right, though, it's only like two minutes long. Right. Um, it was, it, did it have sound? It did. It did. But it was really hard to tell what was going on. I wonder if it was the old Super 8 uh, film, because at some point in the early 70s, it came out with a sound option, I think. So, and so that was probably transferred to video. Oh, got it. Yeah. My yeah. guess. Because be. video cameras, I remember in 79 on tour with Hart and they had uh, uh, this case that they'd open it up and it was a huge camera. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, you have more on your phone now than you'd have on this thing. Right. And this long coax cable that was like 50 feet long that came with it. Yeah. Yeah. People love those things. Though. I mean, they're, they're collector's items. You know, people yeah. love the original, you know, Super 8s. Um, so you brought up, you brought up heart, which was, you know, I was, I was about to get into this stuff, but you know, might as well do it now. Um, so in it, at some point in the, in the, you know, mid seventies, um, you were in, I mean, I would arguably say the biggest band in Seattle or definitely in the top one or two, you know, bands in Seattle. Right. So you kind of made that transition. Um, and I see you looking incredulously at me while I'm saying that. Um, what I well, mean you, by that? You, you skipped uh, between 74 and 77, which is when all that began. Right. So, and, and I wanted to kind of like circle back around, but because you mentioned Hart, I thought that was a, a nice little kind of like okay. segue. Okay. Um, I remember I lived in a tiny little town in Northern Idaho and um, big cities were, were something that were... Um, kind of outside of the imagination right right and i'm very familiar with that seattle was always a little bit weird to me because it was a big city but nobody really knew anything about it um and that was the case up until the i would i would venture to say the early 90s <clears throat> um but having a bands that actually played overseas tours right like they, they were you know doing these you know selling out stadiums and and um you you did us didn't you didn't no. KKO do us? You didn't? No. Okay. Um, we, we did, did the a, Texas Jam. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I do want to get back to between 74 and 77. All right. Okay. I, I really do. Um, I just wanted to to basically point that out. You know, at, at a time, there were basically, you know, two bands from Seattle that, that the world knew, and that was TKO and Hart. Right? There were obviously other bands, but I mean... Those are the ones that people knew, you know, pretty much worldwide. You know, like you could say that name and people would know who you're talking about. Right. Um, so um, I want to hear a little bit about TKO stories, obviously. Um, and then obviously get into, into you know, Angels of Dresden and, and uh, let's talk about War Babies a little bit too, you know, while we're at it. Um, but let's, let's get back, I'm sorry, to the 74 to 77 stuff. So the... The Pickle Sisters implodes or, or whatever happens is, you know, as a band breaks up. And then what does Brad do? Well, summer was upon us. Um, and after the downfall of Pickle Sisters Whiz Kids, I 
went back to Yakima. Mm -hmm. Had a little apartment outside my dad's house. Uh, that was always open to us kids as we were in between things. So uh, I moved in there and somewhere in there, Tony Bortko and I ran into each other. We'd known each other since junior high. And we all had the same musical interest. Um, Alice Cooper, Bowie. Um, I, th I think there was a golden earring, uh, not mm -hmm. their hits, but but their classic early albums, mm -hmm. Moon Tan and all that stuff. We just started writing together. And before you know it, we, we would sne sneak into the Catholic church with uh, Revox... Uh, two-track, reel-to-reel, plug it into the wall with a Sennheiser mic, and he'd pump up the church organ, and we'd work out songs that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, about then, Bill Durham, who was my monster drummer uh, growing up, idolizing, had just been released from the Army, and he was in town. So boom, boom, we have a band. We, we ended up writing a rock opera. Okay. and called ourselves POW. And it was this ludicrous storyline that didn't really have an ending, but we found funding. Oh, and how we did that, I have no idea. Uh, my buddy Danny uh, ended up managing us and we got some more money uh, and went into C-West Studios and recorded that mm -hmm. three-song demo, which later caught the ear of later rock stars like Mike McCready and, and mm -hmm. Stoney uh, out of Pearl Jam. They were big fans of that project, but it sadly, we kind of blew through the money. Right. And dissolved. One of the ways we ran through the money is I still didn't really understand what you had to do to be a rock star. I just said, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that you need to be seen and heard and people need to pay attention to you. I said, we need to rent a limo. Perfect. So we need to rent a limo uh, with faux bodyguards. I'd get in a fight, you know, mm -hmm. this is going to get attention. Well, it did, but <laughs> limos are expensive and we ran out of money. Those were very crazy days. So is this is this around the time that you get the uh, the bad, bad Brad thing going on? No, that comes later. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Because obviously I want to hear about that. Um, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So you, so, so that thing dissolved uh, late 76. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it did find its way into... Some people that are still collectors have it in the digital form and mm -hmm. it's traded around it's very bizarre i sound like david bowie i don't sound like me because i was still evolving right um but um uh, a few months passed by we're all you know losing touch with one another and tony and i together ended up in seattle mm -hmm. and um Rick was playing, Rick Pierce was playing with a band called Mojo Hand, and they were a celebrated kind of a Delta blues, really meaty, uh, cool, cool fucking band. Um, and they had lost their singer mm -hmm. and they were looking at Tony 
And Tony said, well, I'll go if Brad goes. And they said, well, come to the G note and let's try it out. So it's a Friday night at the G note for all of those that, you, that remember that. I don't know if it's still standing. It's a shithole. Uh, Perfect. We got up and did a couple of songs. I can't tell you what they were. Mm -hmm. uh, and immediately, Daryl, the drummer, who's kind of the leader at the time, breaks the news to me. Yeah, we just don't think you're right. I went, okay. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to kill myself. And very seriously, he said, you don't have to do that. And Tony got this far from his face and said, he's fucking kidding. <laughs> I love it. Next day I was hired. And I'm, I'm sure they regret that decision to this day. <laughs> God bless them. They were great players. Still mm -hmm. are. Wow. And Mojo Hand um, were doing the bar circuits, you know, barely skimping by. But they were managed by Ken Kinnear, who managed Hart. Mm -hmm. Um. So that was kind of a, that's back when you had star makers and you get somebody right. that is renowned like Kinnear, you know, you've got a good chance. And, and next thing you know, we're in the studio and I don't really know what I'm doing at this point. I still haven't evolved. Mm -hmm. um, Mike Flicker, who produced Tart, is the producer. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was kind of listening to the tapes. He goes, you kind of sound like Daltrey in there. I went, well, okay, borrowed a little bit of that. So the first album that came out, um, I still hadn't really evolved where I was going as a singer. Um, but it, it came out and immediately, is, he sounds like Roger Daltrey. He sounds like Mick Jagger. Sounds like Roger Daltrey. And uh, then we went on the road. And these were long, you know, eight weeks of you know i think we first went out with the kinks who are a legendary band really? and, and have have um an audience that is brutal to the opening act mm -hmm. yeah i, I can talked, imagine i've uh, talked to other rockers that like ian hunter i had lunch with him in new york that year 79 and i was crying in my beer and he goes hey you know nothing yeah, I said, well, of course I know nothing. Is no, no, Monta Hoople had a number one hit in Europe. And they come over to the States and they open for the Kinks. Mm -hmm. And the Kinks are looking at them, you know, in their attire. And the, the crowd is, he says, you've never seen anything worse than the front three rows of, are nothing but girls pointing at you and laughing. <laughs> oh, God. Sounds miserable. But... Yeah, there were nights where we were booed off the stage. It was, please welcome TK Boo. <laughs> and unable to, you know, so this was very discouraging, to right. say the least. Um, so we were out eight or 16 weeks doing that risk-cutting experience. Mm -hmm. um, took a break, only to find out we were given the opener for Cheap Trick, their first headlining tour since Budokan. That's incredible. So everything changed overnight with that. Mm -hmm. um, we had real rock people in the crowd that mm -hmm. dug it. We got encores. It, it was a great time. And that was another eight-week eight leg. That was 
what year? 78? 79. 79. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, and it was in those tours. Um, I, I, there's so many tours and they were all like 20,000 theater kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Texas jam, which was 80,000 mm-hmm. people. And that's a come to Jesus moment. Um, wait, wait, wait. Let's, when let's you're stop. 23, yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. We have to dive into that just a little bit. So, um, you're a kid from Yakima. You've, you've, I mean, you've obviously done stuff like, you know, opening for the Kinks and whatnot, but suddenly you're in front of 80,000 people in Texas, right? Right. What's, what's going through your mind at that point? Well, um, first off, we were sharing a, dressing room trailer with sammy hagar who i'm a big fan of mm-hmm. he's a great guy you know and i'm like sammy hagar you know shaking hands with him and hanging out with him meanwhile okay gentlemen it's time to go and i think i'm ready because i've done twenty thousand seaters you know mm-hmm. and you start going up the ramp and you just hear that crowd. It's a sea of humanity. Wow. And as you get into eye shot, it's a wraparound and a field of souls. Mm-hmm. They're waiting to rock. And if you have blood pressure problems, that's probably not the place. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but that that's your okay, it's time. Turn it on. Let's do it. So at at that point. I mean, I've I've obviously never done that, but I have been in situations where I've had to, you know, perform on demand, you know, in front of, of you know, a decent amount of people. And kind of what happens with me, and I'm curious if the same thing with you, is like, I just stop thinking. Like, my brain just completely shuts down, and I just start saying shit, you know. Um, and it works about 80% of the time, you know. Well, what I learned on the Kinks tour is never let them see a sweat. Right. Uh, that was the gift from that tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, go out with confidence and just give them your soul, you know, right. and start start in the front row. Start working them. Then go to the next row. And then by the time you're done, you should be in contact with the cheap seats. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I, I hold that principle high today. Yeah, I mean, I I promise we're going to get all back to everything. But but I saw you um, in what it was only a couple of years ago, that show at Studio Seven. Oh yeah, that you guys did. Um, and you know, the one thing I would say is, you guys played as if there were twenty thousand people. You and know, there spot. <laughs> no, there weren't even even remotely. Um, <laughs> That's a weird little spot, though. You know, I mean, yeah. I was, I was duly impressed that you got as many people in there as you did, um, yeah. just because it's it's infamous. It's one of those places where they could get you know a, a band with a number one single coming through there, and they still wouldn't sell it out. It just it's a weird spot. So yeah, guys... and they they'd gone through a sketchy point where they brought in some rappers, right? Yeah, and there was a murder. They, they lost their <laughs> alcohol police. license. This was, yeah, this was shortly after that had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're sitting in the same dressing room and you're looking in the bathroom where the murder occurred, you know, it's like, this is very rock. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were selling water. I remember 
and so they had they actually had their bars were open but they were only selling bottles of water <laughs> yeah the and, city the city really fucked them until yeah, they they did they, they did you know and they tried they tried a lot of ideas and now they're uh they're club sir now Oh, okay. Which I, okay. Which I went back and and uh, I think it was my 65th birthday. I said, "Let's do it there. Let's help them out because they're great." Nice. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think in their case, it's it's mostly location, right? Like it's just yeah. it's a weird location. Um, you know, and and even even Showbox Soto has an issue with with like selling stuff out just because it's weird. Nobody goes to yeah. Soto, and it, it that part of town is kind of sketchy these days. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you have doubt. that factor. And and most of my fan base is starts at, at the King County line, you know, mm-hmm. and go south, or you go to Linwood and north. They've all right. branched out outside the city limits. So the idea of going downtown, especially nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, is kind of foreign to them. Yeah, without a doubt. I've I currently live in the north end and I've considered opening a, a giant music well not now but a giant music venue in, in the north end because i think i think it would do really really well but that's neither here nor there um let's get back to you and 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 you know that experience of you know being like you know 23 years old and you're out with you know i mean legendary bands right especially you know like chief trick for me is like the, the be all end all you know of, of american rock i'm um, Shortly before um, the Texas Jam, we did uh, the Mississippi River Festival. And what came about, I talked to John Bauer, who's a Northwest legend promoter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he explained that the bill was Hart and Nazareth as the top. Mm-hmm. And then in tiny little letters down at the bottom, the promoter put in UFO, ACDC, and TKL, mm-hmm. and told Bauer, I wanted to put some alphabet bands in there. That's funny. But little did he know, uh, Highway to Hell had just gone to number one. Oh, and wow. We opened the show. We did good. Mm-hmm. Uh, got them on their feet. But then uh, ACDC hit the stage. Mm-hmm. And they fucking ruled the day. Every, Imagine everything in rock perspective changed that day. Crowd went nuts, and they never recovered. Yeah, UFO or Nazareth, they they were exhausted. Right, and I feel bad for for UFO because they were a great band. Great that... band, hardworking. Who goes to them? Yeah. Um, and, and obviously we're going to get into this a little bit too, but, you know, McCready does the, uh, the flight to Mars thing, which I think is, you know, is, is beautiful, you know, like, a, cause again, most people, so I'm a, I'm a, almost a generation younger than you almost, but not quite. Um, and most of my generation has no idea of what a UFO is, right? Like they, right, they just have right. no idea, you know? But yet, a lot of the bands they listen to have a direct like lineage from that that type of music, if not that band directly. So, anyway, sorry, I keep getting distracted. Or this is what happens with long careers. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what, dude? I started taking notes, and I generally I try not to take too many notes before I do one of these, just because then I end up just asking rote questions, right? Um, but with you, I started going through it, and um, I just stopped. I was like, okay, there, that's how conversations no... work. Exactly, exactly. You know, and the concept of this thing is 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 basically like you're sitting in a bar. And, you know, you, you, you sit down next to someone and you're like, oh, you know, Brad Sensel. Oh, okay. I, I know a little bit about you. Let's just have a conversation about it. You know, instead of saying, you know, hey, on June 4th, 1976, you <laughs> did, you know, because you probably don't remember what you did on June 4th, you know, 1976. So right. that's not a conversation. That's an ambush. Right. So right. I try not to do that at all. Um, but. You know, there are definitely some points that I want to I want to touch on. Um, one of which, and, and we'll get into this, is there's a definite theme to the names of your bands, right? There's a right. definite. I think I wrote down war theme. That's that's what basically what you know, because you've got you know Angels of Dresden, you know TKO, which is you know I mean aggressive. It's not necessarily war related, but you know aggressive, um, and war babies. Right. So, I mean, those are there. There's a definite theme, you know, in terms of the names, I would say. Is that accurate? Um, if it is, it, it's by accident. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know. There's no real rhyme or reason to it because Angels of Dresden is a little long in the tongue. Uh, the anachron is um aod mm -hmm. but um so you have powtko and aod so i right i don't okay, know i got it i got it is, is there any chance that that the pow stuff will ever be released or is it just like is it gone i um i have all the tapes mm-hmm except for let it roll the first tko album that has gone missing producer rick Kiefer had them in storage and he died then his wife died and relatives took over the studio and oh, the no. engineers found what he knew to be mine so he shipped them all over and they're a little on the moldy smelling side which is not mm -hmm. a death sentence completely but it's it's frightening mm -hmm. um the pow stuff i have uh quarter inch stereo final mix um in your face below the mm -hmm. belt have most of those and do you own the masters on those or, or are they just i got them tapes i got them in the back there on the shelf so what i mean is do you own the the rights to the masters having them argu in the arguably <laughs> okay okay um because once i do that i smell lawyers you right. know yeah there, there's a the reason I'm asking is there, there's a definite lack of of um, TKO material out on you, know, you certainly aren't on Spotify you know or anything like that um, yeah yeah we there's too much infighting to organize that um, we might do that mm -hmm. there's arguments going on still to this day so I don't know I I'm still moving forward mm -hmm. I did look back for the uh, 40th reunion for TKO. Mm -hmm. And although and I, I enjoyed that for a two-year period, I got really tired of right. uh, living in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally get that. 
Um, and I'm sure it's also frustrating, like, you know, when you're talking to somebody like me who's like, okay, let's talk about all your past shit, right? And, and um, yeah, it, goes, it goes with the territory. I don't mind doing that. I'm just talking about performing, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it is that far back in the cave. It was fun while it lasted, but at some point I went, you know what? I got to get back to writing because that's right. what I do. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. It's um, everyone I've, every musician I've ever talked to, um, when they have that, that situation where some of their best known songs were some of their first songs, for example, right? right. And of course, as a fan or, or, or uh, you know, a journalist or whatever, you always want to talk about those things. And they're like, but we've put out three albums since then, right? I mean, like we're we're a different band now, um, and I get that frustration, you know. Um, I don't think I would handle it well, right? I think I think I would be like, you know, dude, let's talk about what I'm doing fucking right now. Like that's the important right. thing, right? Um, which is my way of saying we're definitely going to be talking about what you're doing right now. Just you know, <laughs> after after a little bit of history here, um. And I know, I know, we, you know, we, we don't have a whole lot longer, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start wrapping this stuff up a little bit. Um, but so you've done these festivals with with um, TKO, and and you've, um, you did a Japan tour, right? The Japan right? Jam. It was two festivals over a a week long period. And uh, shortly before that, we brought in Bill Durham and Evan Sheely. Mm -hmm. So now you have a complete lineup of all Yakima musicians. And we were in seventh heaven. Mm -hmm. I think they, they pulled Evan out of selling stereos in L.A. And Bill Durham, uh, the beefiest drummer I've ever played with. He was driving a forklift. So it was one of those phone calls. Hey, want to go to Japan? <laughs> yep. Come home. So they moved back to Seattle and we started rehearsals and um, we did a warm up gig in Yakima opening for Nazareth, which we, huh. we'd been out with them before. So mm -hmm. that, that seemed like a safe place, but Tony, Tony Borko. Um, he was somewhere between Sid Vicious and Pete Townsend. And depending on his mood, when you got Sid, look out. And mm -hmm. some local Yoko threw an empty booze bottle, hit Tony in the shin. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I went, uh-oh, here we go. And so I went over to Pierce's side of the stage because that's always, you know. Mm -hmm. He's, he's just down to business and there's no antics going on. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, Borco drop kicks the bottle and pulls out his wiener. Oh, perfect. Good. What else do you do in a time like that? Well, the bottle hits the girl in the head uh, and his wiener comes out. Somewhere there's video footage of this. I think Kinnear oh. has it to this day. And it's almost like... Uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby, that shooting, it, it's <laughs> like, because it was live on network camera, you know, mm -hmm. the camera's going, you hear somebody say, right, get that over there, get that over there. And the camera kind of jumps and all of a sudden there's a zoom and there's mm -hmm. Tony's wiener. In, oh. in the uh, audience, in the bleachers, 
is my 85 year old grandfather. Oh, in fact, everybody's parents were in, you know, oh, oh my, in, in attendance. But anyhow, ergo that we're ready for Japan. And uh, we wait, 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 back up here. You're talking about Yakima in, in the, you know, the, the late 70s. Yeah. There were no arrests made because of his. No, winter. oddly enough, no. Wow. Oddly okay. enough, no. Um, and it was at the Speedway, you know, hmm. which is in a sketchy part of town. So I don't know if cops even went near there. Okay. But it would have been primed for an arrest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no shit. I partied all night. Um, and uh, had no ride home. I decided to stay at home and not in the hotel. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a hotel room. So it's seven o'clock, sun's coming up. I'm at a bus stop and Evan Sheely's dad pulls over and says, you need a ride? I went, sure. I get in. Right. He looks over, old Lou. Is it true that Tony exposed himself? <laughs> last night went, yeah yeah that, that kind of went down you know that's so funny so <clears throat> did you only have a couple of days before you had to like you know back we had about a week off before we were on a jumbo 747 um headed to japan wow we were really obnoxious well, not all good. of us just most of us um, we dubbed it the Ugly American Tour because, because there was this thing where the men did not like us, mm -hmm. but the girls did, which pissed off the men. You know, that makes sense. That I, I've actually lived in Japan, so I, I, I understand how that whole thing. My worked. recollection, I never. We were in Tokyo for the uh, first few days, just R and R and and. Uh, in the hotel room, they provide you with a kimono. Well, they have kimonos have different meanings. Mm -hmm. there, there's one for dining and there's one for the bedroom. Right. Well, we don't know this. We put it on, we go down to the pool and they're all pointing and giggling at us. <laughs> and our interpreter going, I said, why are they laughing? You're wearing your, your sleeping kimono, the one you wear to, mm -hmm. in the bedroom outside so it's like going outside in your underwear right we didn't know that that's so funny that's so funny. but uh the show was a weird combination heart was on it mm -hmm. uh the beach boys you know that's a weird okay um uh, firefall i don't think i even know who they are oh Butt rock 70s, you know, flared right. polyester pants and silk wide collar. Perfect. I'm sure I would love it if I heard it, but. Well, their bass player ended up uh, replacing Steve Fawson in Heart. Oh, really? And, uh, huh. I think Mark Andes. Okay. And he was the original bass player for Spirit. He's the most handsome man in oh. rock, by the way. I do know Spirit, so that's. that's, that's yeah, he, he dates back that far, but incredibly handsome dude. Um, and, uh, the girls were talking to him a lot then. And, mm -hmm. and I remember the last day of that tour down in the, um, cafeteria, 
all the bands are in there and the crew comes walking in huddled around Kinnear and, and uh and demanding a pay raise mm-hmm. well by the time they landed they got their pink slips I, wow. I think they wanted an extra five dollars an hour or something like that wow. and Kinnear was a nuts and bolts manager and his remark was and those guys will eat you up. Mm-hmm. Can't allow that. So the people that have been with them since 76, you know, boom, out of work. Wow. And this is like in the midst of your your two shows, right? Or your your week or whatever that, it was you that, said there. That, that was the ending of that. The first show was in Oshima uh Yacht Harbor. Mm-hmm. And um it was odd. There was a hundred yard barrier between the stage and the audience. A hundred yards. And, and much like Budokan, uh, which was their first experience with rock and roll hysteria. Uh, they were, you know, if you broke this rope and headed in that no man's zone, I mean, singing to people a hundred yards away is odd. Yeah. Um, and it was hot and, and humid and they kept throwing me ice towels to cool off. Mm-hmm. And I threw one of them out of habit because I'd always do that. And must have been a naval base around there or something because there were a lot of whiteies out there mm-hmm. uh, that broke through the rope and making the hundred yard dash to get to the thing. Wow. And the shore patrol was in charge of security and they're beating on these guys with sticks. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, the only and time I've ever see, been insulted. Um, oh, sorry. Between bands, uh, they provided the stage crew and you'd get five or six of these little guys picking up a double stack of marshals and you'd just see them. It's like, please don't drop that. Then they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. Um, and we had a couple days off and we um, took the bullet train up to Kyoto, mm-hmm. which was a smaller venue. I think uh, in Oshima was like 45,000 people. Uh, this was only 10. Mm-hmm. And so it was much more intimate and there wasn't that 100 yard barrier. Mm-hmm. And we had a great set. Um, and then the the clouds started coming in and a monsoon hit and we're talking torrential rain and the covering over the stage uh wasn't at the right angle so it didn't necessarily roll off Mm -hmm. it just concentrated until the whole rigging lights action camera just collapses on heart and one of the uh struts with untold amounts of lights attached to it came down and slammed Derosier, Hart's drummer, got out of there just prior to this thing going into his uh, timpani. And Evan was standing side stage and part of the scaffolding broke and Evan's hanging 10 feet above the ground. Well, 20 feet above the ground just hanging there before the crew got him and pulled him back in. That's uh, insane. But the impressive thing about Japan at 23 was 
went down to the lobby or not the lobby, the, the basement. I got lost and uh, lo and behold, there's a sake vending machine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Heated, heated sake, mm-hmm. which I'd grown a taste for because they were serving it on the plane. Right. Warning to other 23-year-olds. Right. It, it may taste like crappy water, but don't drink a bunch of it on a no. plane. God, no. No, no, no. So we were, we were average 23, 24-year-olds and uh, probably disgraced ourselves. I regret that to this day, but it's part of my story. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I I think if, if you go back and, and you, you become um, apologetic for things, you know, that you did when you were in your early 20s, I, I personally would spend, you know, probably the rest of my life apologizing. So, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you can't do that. You know, it's like, right. whatever. Right. And it probably wasn't as bad as, as you think it is now, right? Well, I mean, it, you know, the Wilson sisters are, are pretty strong feminists. And I think right. I, they, they were always friendly to me and we'd talk and smile. After that, no, we don't talk anymore. I did a, uh, uh, it was the Rock the Environment show with War Babies and Heart, and I think they were squabbling over the name, so they were called the Love Mongers and Queensryche. And at the end, we did uh, an encore, two encores. One was um, Give Me Shelter, and the other was Revolution, mm-hmm. the Beatles tune with Anne and Nancy and Jeff Tate and me and mm-hmm. Tommy from War Babies and Queens is the backing band. Yeah, she didn't say a word to me. She hasn't spoke to me since Japan. Wow. So that's that's a good amount of time. Yeah. Uh, 40 years almost. So. Yeah. Wow. Still one of my favorite singers. Yeah, well, I was never a giant. I've, I've been canceled. No, I can't. Yeah, I'm 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 specifically staying away from politics here because we disagree with probably about ninety nine percent of it. So let's not even go in that. I, I checked your page out. I doubt we disagree on much, uh, no. but I I stay away from because it's dangerous times. It, it is dangerous. It is. And I, I work with people on the left, people on the right. I even have one guy that's right in the center saying, "What's wrong with both sides?" You know. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and I spent my time as a justice warrior you know i i had morning executions because people would make comments that i thought were something i didn't like so i lost friends over it so i decided you know what the first amendment is important to me Mm -hmm. but so is my career so let's just skip politics right exactly exactly that's kind of how i feel um I, I will get into these conversations with a, like a really good friend sitting in a bar or whatnot where nobody else can hear. And we can have what I like to call um, gloves off conversations. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to just avoid it. It's just, it's not worth it. You know, um, especially when, when you get in a situation where you feel like you're being attacked by your own group, right? Because of, of one disagreement that you have, just like, well, anyway, I promised we wouldn't talk about it. And here I go. <laughs> that's um, exactly how i roll yeah there's a lot. one thing what's that I, I i couldn't agree with you more i that that's my response and then then i can't stop and i said right. consider this 
know. Right. And then it starts all over again. Yeah, and it's hard not to do that. Yeah. Um, I I want to I want to dig into Angels of Dresden, and I know we're going to skip a lot of stuff here. Um, and we can always come back if you have the time, right? Um, but I know you just released. Was it a full album or just a a single? Or, it's a single. Okay, and, and it's, it's a great our, single. I think it's our. It's our fourth single. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that um, since 2013. Mm-hmm. And, and why don't why don't we just edit this part out and figure out how we're gonna go <laughs> with the angels thing? Here's a good um, edit spot. Yeah, so well, basically, we were, we were kind of setting ourselves up there. So um, what I want to know is is how Angels of Dresden kind of came into, into being, because it, it's it's a slightly different sound. It, it, it reminds me of like what TKO would sound like, well, 40 years in the future, right? I mean, so I, I think it's, it's a good transition. Um, obviously, the sound is different, but there's a lineage that, that I think is obvious right whereas with war babies i didn't personally i didn't see like a lineage there like i i if i didn't know i might have a hard time saying that that people from from tko were part of war babies right i mean so that's what i find really fascinating about angels of dresden it's like a, a for lack of a better term a modernized version of of tko right and that's a horrible thing to say but i mean i don't mean it in a bad way <laughs> right. it, just, it, it sounds like like you know given given the uh, um, the right grouping of musicians and, and the right studio and, and the, the newer equipment and, and all of that stuff like I could hear Tokyo sounding like that 40 years later that that's what right. I mean by that right it's um it's what the publicist is is calling a music collective mm-hmm. and there are some there's a hub, which is Bryn Arns. Um, he was a front guy for Flip, big band in the mid nineties. Uh, he produces and plays on most of it. This is our fourth single that we're coming out with now and it's all available streaming. So wherever mm-hmm. you streams. Um, but we tend to rotate through musicians from mm-hmm. its conception in 2013. Um, and the original tracks were done in Burbank in the studio, um, and later we started bringing guest artists in via file sharing, mm-hmm. um, because who doesn't have a home studio, but we were able to swap out players. Um, the first single was Doomsday. And we got Mike McCready on that. Um, Steve Gaynor is a session guy in Los Angeles. Great guitar player, uh, writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he co-wrote it with me. Um, Alex Lacasio, uh, John Sharkey, the shark is the bass player for Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Um, and we released that as a single. 
Um, and the next single that came out featured, uh, it's called Go Down Swinging, which if that isn't a TKO title, I don't know right. what it is. Uh, but I brought in Evan Sheely from TKO. He was on uh, In Your Face. Right. Um, and Rick Pierce, who goes again, both Evan and Rick go back to junior high days. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're on go down swinging, um, and as is Brent Arns, uh, and Alex and and John Sharkey. Um, then the lockdown hit. I mean, there's a big space between 2015. I walked away from that because I started doing other things, right? Uh, including buying a home. Nice. Uh, and then the TKO 40th reunion came up. So I'd walked away from it. And then the pandemic hit. And I'm sitting around uh, just bummed and isolated. And, mm-hmm. and Brent Arn started sending me song ideas. I went, I got nothing else to do. Um, so I started working on things and things weren't really clicking. Mm-hmm. Sent me a a music bed with some riffs and I got up one morning and I looked in the mirror. I hadn't, hadn't showered in two (laughs) weeks. Right. And I'm still in my pajamas and my hoodie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, I've been 14 days in my fucking pajamas. Bing. And that's the opening line of the last single home for a while. It just chronicles the whole experience of this fucked up lockdown. Yeah. Um, And that was released uh, July of 2020, I think. And we decided to keep the angels thing floating because what better way, you know, social distancing. Well, we've been doing that since the 90s with file sharing. Why not beef it up? uh, And and uh, we had used Carl Kennedy of the Rods on Home for a While. We had a demo of something called The Criminal, which is the new release we're doing. Right. It's a remake of a song that was written in 2014, but abandoned. And what's cool about it, it's, it has Carl Kennedy from the Rods. It has uh, Chris Barato, who's an LA session man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done great white he's done samantha seven and did some guns and roses shit as well so you have this whole rhythm section that just makes everything pop Mm -hmm. um and right now we're getting label offers for a a full album so rather than a rotating crew i might swap guitar players around here and there but Mm -hmm. for sure the rhythm section seemed to have found a pocket also on the criminal, you'll hear a female voice come around the second verse and and midsection, mm-hmm. and that is Jessica Van, who is a actress. Uh, you can catch her now on Prime with a series called Budge Bracket. Okay, and uh, she was at the time uh, I met her uh, a character on. Uh, some MTV thing, Awkward, the series Awkward. Oh, okay. She's a character on that. But in Prime this week, she's the lead character in a series called Budge Bracket. Huge talent. 
what she's doing with a bunch of greasy older guys is beyond me, but it <laughs> works. Um, I, I liken it to me being, well, I'm her Lemmy to her Pavarotti is <laughs> how I look at it. I love it. Uh, uh, she's just got, got the voice of an angel and the yeah. tongue of a piper. I mean, so yeah. when you hear the thing, you'll see. And putting her together with me, I think, was Bryn's idea. Um, mm -hmm. uh, initially, I didn't have a second verse. Mm -hmm. And I told Steve Gaynor, uh, he said, well, you ready to lay down the vocals? I said, I don't have a second verse. I was planning. Maybe you could find me a big fat cholo rapper. Right. with a gold tooth because he, he's mr la he goes i i don't mm. really know anybody any posse he goes how about a really hot asian chick uh, <laughs> well that sounds fucking weird let's go with that so yeah, she showed up uh after i laid down my tracks she mm -hmm. came in and uh to fill the second verse and and the b section which weren't written yet. So I said, well, why don't you give it a day, go home and, and write it? She goes, no, I can do it now. That's great. And she sits down and Steve and I are talking. And within five minutes, she goes, okay, I'm ready. And I had never heard her sing. And I was blown away. And it takes me a lot to be blown away because I hate pretty much everything. Right. But she did a great, great job. It, her voice is... Um... And it's funny, I was going to ask about who it was, um, that, that voice. Um, it definitely works. Like, I mean, it works really well, like almost, almost to the point of, of, of like goosebumps, right? It just, it sounds really, really, really good. Yeah. We were, we were listening on the other side of the, the glass, so to speak, and my mouth drops, his mouth drops and we turn at each other and go, you know, yeah. it was just. In fact, we said, let's try that one more time. We did that like four times, yeah. <laughs> even though we knew we had it on the first day. That's right. But you never know. I mean, like sometimes you hear that thing and you're like, this is perfect. You're like, oh, fuck, it's actually even better the second time. Right. So yeah. when you have somebody like that who just can can pull the shit out of nowhere. Um, you I haven't seen that since in War Babies. Uh, we brought in Ben Montench keyboard player for Tom Petty mm -hmm. and uh, Panunzio, the producer said uh, to the engineer, he said, make sure you get the first take because that'll be his best. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> right exactly. And he laid it down and I, I saw God, you know, mm -hmm. there's just some players that intuitively get it. Mm -hmm. And, and sure enough, the first track, and I felt guilty asking for a second one thinking, <laughs> well, we might hit something here. I never right. asked for a third. Well, that, that's <laughs> awesome. and that was that's really the truth about Jessica. That I, I love that story. And um, had she ever been in the studio before? Like, was this something brand new? She's to her? done some singing, but she's a huge star uh, in the Orient. Mm -hmm. You know, millions of followers, kind of strong, and. Um, so it's incredibly odd, but sometimes doing the odd thing is the sweet spot. And in this case, it was. That's incredible. Um, and I, I know that you've you've pulled out um, and 
you know, you talk about this as, as you see fit, but, you know, you've throughout the years with, with Angels of Dresden and um, I believe also with War Babies um, kind of pulled through um, your, your Rolodex, as it were, of, of, you know, people to, you know, to be a part of your, you know, your, your bands. Um, I, I think it's, it's really incredible because one of them, and I don't want to just drop his name because then I'm going to feel like an asshole saying it. Um, in fact, I've, I'm specifically staying away from the name just because I don't want to, you know, do that. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you've, you've brought some of these people together to create something that is, um, it sounds very Seattle to me, right? Without, without, without being pandering to, you know, um, various genres that have come out of Seattle. It just sounds like it comes from Seattle to me, right. especially the criminal, right? It just sounds, uh, it's probably hard to explain this to people who are not from this area. Well, right? it, it, the Seattle thing it, it is hard to describe, but um, you have to kind of color outside the lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to be from Seattle. Right. Um, and if you stay within the confines, you're not really doing Seattle justice is how I see it. I, I agree with that. I agree. Um, and I, I guess this is a, a decent question at this point. Do you consider yourself a Seattle band? I mean, what what are you? That's, that My heart will always be with Seattle. Uh, mm-hmm. some of my greatest moments of most of my greatest moments have come out of Seattle. It's mm-hmm. Seattle's in trouble right now, but I think it'll rise if the right decisions are made. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are, I, I could tend to move back there and continue on, but until they are, I'm a Yakima man. No, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with a small town. Right. No, um, no. I mean, I've lived in some amazing towns. I, L.A., San Francisco, New York, you know, mm-hmm. and they're done that. Uh, and there's just something about walking out your back door in the morning and greeting the sunshine and hearing the birds sing as opposed to sirens and filth. <laughs> right. Well, and there's also got to be a little of, of um, hometown hero thing going on, too. Right. I mean, like. You're, you know, you're in a small, Yakima is what, like 40,000? I don't even know. Within, when I left, it was 56,000. Today, mm. within the city limits, it's 100,000. Is it really? Holy shit. And which it was, much like Seattle, it was never built for that many people. Right. <laughs> you know? Wow. Um, the yeah, the town. I grew my up favorite in. coming home story was I ran into a guy at Mayfair Market. Uh, this was the time I was home for um, that Nazareth show, mm-hmm. and uh, I stopped by the grocery store. Ran into a guy I went to junior high with, and he was with his buddy, and they were buying beer. And we ran into each other outside. He says. What have you been up to? I said, I'm still singing. Singing what? I go, with TKO. And the guy goes, no way. I got that album, and there ain't no way you're on it. That's so funny. And, and then, then, of course, you Andy have to throw it Charles. 
Who ended wow. up in prison, by the way, rest of the cell. That, that tends to happen. Ain't no way you're on it. So that, in terms of hometown hero, I tend not to, musically around here, it's always been a Deadpool. Right. Um, and I kind of like it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's no infrastructure here. You can't get a decent PA. And, mm-hmm. and I become a snob if I'm if I'm going to do live. Certain things have to be in place. Right. And if I want to play live, it's an hour. You know, like, what two hours and ten minutes? I'm in Seattle and I can do a show right. with the proper shit going on. Yeah, exactly. I did enter well, the folk life festival here once. I haven't been asked back. There's a folk life in Yakima. Oh yeah, oh, it was man. run by older hippies, and and. I kind of rattled their cage, so I haven't been asked back. It was a project I did uh, 2011, I think. Oh, the Americana stuff. On on the recording, uh, the band was called the McClellans. Mm -hmm. And the idea was 100 100 years of great American song. Mm -hmm. And so it was... Sweet Betsy from Pike, You Are My Sunshine. <laughs> but in the recordings, I have like Mike McCready, mm-hmm. uh, a, a bunch of sharp players on it, just mm-hmm. took away everybody's electricity and everybody's playing acoustic shit. I love it. Mike and I tried it out at the flight to Mars and it kind of went over. But what mm-hmm. I didn't realize is cancel culture. These are the songs I grew up in as right. a young lad in the 50s. At church and in school, Sweet Betsy from Pike got canceled because it refers to Native Americans as engines. Uh, so yeah. I'm wondering, well, why aren't people digging this? Well, it'd been canceled. You know, right. so everybody sing along and everybody's going, uh, what are the words? You know. So th- there's a weirdness about that stuff, um, you know, because I also grew up in, in you know, small town America. Mm-hmm. And there's a... Uh, I don't know. I, I have a weird nostalgia, I guess, for lack of a better term, for some of those things. Um, uh, songs like This Land Is Your Land and, and whatnot, which honestly, if you listen to the lyrics and all the verses, right, not not just the, the one that you tend to learn in, in Is school. that a Pete Seeger? No, This Land Is Your... It's a... He did a, a version Woody of Guthrie? it. Woody Guthrie? No, 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 no. It's it's an. I'm gonna have to look it up. I don't have it right in front of me. Okay. Um, but it, it's an old er sort of song. Like it's been around for a long time. It's been covered by a lot of people. Um, but if you listen to the lyrics, it it's it's really, really, really dark, right? I mean, if you listen to like verses after the first one or two, whatever it is you learn in school. Well, I think it's either Woody Guthrie or Pete Seeger. Yeah, I I think it might be Woody. And the yeah, he would. You look into his shit, and you know the first verse might be jingly, but you get into the second, third, and four, and there's a lot of verses. And the more oh, verses yeah. you have, the darker the shit goes. Yeah, most of it was done in the depression. Yeah, I mean, and and, and they're and, all kind of fuck the government. Yeah, and when 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 he's talking about you know this land being made for you and me, he's being kind of a little sarcastic and 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 basically saying right, right, except for you. And you, and you, and you, right. right? It's made for whatever. Right. So I, I kind of understand that. Um, 
and we could probably talk for a very long time about cancel culture and what that all means and and whatnot but there the, it definitely does exist right right and in some cases it work it 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 works because well again there's a lot of dark shit out there right that that people don't want to admit happened you know they don't want to admit that that um these viewpoints actually did exist and continue to exist and so they just whitewash it right and <clears throat> that's something that happens unfortunately all the way around like america we just we just do that right it, yeah. it's become it's become part of what we do um but i wanted to finish up talking about angels of dresden not about the depression that, <laughs> of americana stuff ourselves into... exactly um and i say i edit shit chances are i'm not going to yeah, i'll yeah, probably yeah, just yeah, send yeah. you the raw shit and you know we'll go from there um so angel dresden you just released um or i guess re-released whatever the criminal i don't know if you ever released it before but um no we sounds... never did it was just in demo form okay and the whole idea of uh you know we we had demoed i'd been working with brand since 2002 uh, we file shared everything. And that's back when I was a beta tester for Paul Allen's drum Corps series mm -hmm. of loops and MIDI drums that played by great drummers, Joey Kramer. I mean, just a shit ton of players came into Paul's studio in Mercer Island and okay, mm -hmm. do a roll. And what, what fill would go with that? And they give you about four mm -hmm. fills. So that's the low end of it. But the MIDI stuff was great because you had all these drum tones. So we were able to file share and get demos that sounded better than most people's studio crap going on right. uh, at an early point. And when the pandemic hit, uh, it's just, and you have Zoom now. Right. The big problem with file sharing and emailing and texting is if you can't see somebody's face, trouble's going to start. Things that right. could be solved. If everybody's in the same room, things could be solved. An issue um, about a riff that could be solved in a sentence turns into a two-week stall right. because somebody took it adversarial. Right. When that wasn't what you were doing at all. So Zoom has helped tremendously in, in that regard. It, when you get into overdubs, you have people in the mixing room and you have somebody out away from you, either in an ISO booth or the big room, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but you have a talk back. But it, right. the, the way file sharing is now with Zoom, you get that rolling, you can really get things done. My preference, everybody in the same room, but until we can do that, this is about mm -hmm. the only thing I've come up with that, that works. That's perfect. Brad, I've got I've got two more questions for you. Go for um, it. I still want to know how you got the name Bad Bad Brad. Number one. Number two is um actually it's like a two and a half parter. Um I wanna talk more about Angels of Dresden and like where where you guys are going in the future. And then I want a piece of trivia from you about whatever you want be it tko angels of dresden war babies you wouldn't in you know by yourself 
So let's let's start with the bad bad Brad. How the fuck did you get that name? <laughs> well, that happened at age twenty six or twenty seven. Um, let it roll was over. I people had split off. Um, and I reformed TKL with new players. I kept Evan Sheely. Mm-hmm. Adam Brenner um, was an up and coming lightning bolt out of the east side. He was only 17 at the time. Uh, it was one of those moments where, well, let's get Eddie Van Halen while well, Eddie Van Halen's taken. So mm-hmm. let's get a Eddie Van Halen. And Adam pretty much fit that bill at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gary Thompson. And we started playing the kid circuit, the Lake Hills roller rink, you know, those, mm-hmm. those style of shows. Um, while we were writing what would become in your face. And <clears throat> by that time, I, I was pretty much in rock star land and I was always lipping off. It was mm-hmm. a very bad attitude and I'd pick a fight with somebody um, before trolls. I'd, I'd write letters to the editor to the rocket, you mm-hmm. know, telling somebody oh, yeah. this off. And it was actually, um, who's the editor of the rocket? Oh, man. It, it depends on, on what year. Uh, what's his name? Tim Keck, I want to say. No. But that was the 90s. Chris so. comes to me. He's actually an author now. And Charles Cross? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Him. He yeah. came up with that line. <laughs> I love it. So he cursed me with that because somebody calls you that, you go, well, that's quite a moniker. You're going <laughs> to have to live up to that one. And I, I think I did for a decade. You know? that- that's perfect, you're just your badass. Who doesn't love a badass who gets away with everything? I, I like, but I like the the double use of the bad. So it's not just bad Brad; it's bad bad Brad. Right, right, right. right. It's like, which, yeah. which means you you have to really come up with some shenanigans to uh, live up to that. So it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy at that point. Right. The yeah. The better I could be, the more press I got. And I was very mm-hmm. good. And, you know, that was also a time where I think Motley Crue started this behavior, mm-hmm. uh, going after Quiet Riot. Mm-hmm. And I love Quiet Riot. They Still had love an Quiet Riot. Thing and very trollish. Only mm-hmm. the difference is these are monthly rags that come out. So instead right. of today's world where you get these long threads, you know, in a 24 hour period, you'd have to wait a month mm-hmm. to respond with your trolling, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it was the age, age of early trolling, I think. But that's, that answers your question. I, I love it. I love it. Christopher Cross. No, uh, uh, Charles Cross. Charles Cross. Charles Cross. Yeah. Yeah. I did it again. And it's now he has to live up to Christopher Cross's. Which is hysterical. Um, but I fucked up because I was thinking of The Stranger, not The Rocket. And so, right. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, Jim Bassnight wanted me to say hi to you. 
Well, I saw him Jim yesterday. Hay. He actually played Yakima, I think. Yeah, he, I went out to see him. He's such a kick-ass dude, man. Like he's yeah. He's a uh, you know one he of the few. Back to the Marvelies, I think. And even before the the Meese, who who opened up for Ramones first show in Seattle, like right. You know he's been around. Yeah. Um. Almost as long as I am. Almost. Almost. Yeah. You guys are almost the same age. I mean, within within a couple of around years. Around that anyway. era. Yeah. Um, and I have great respect for anybody who's spent, you know, 40 or 50 years, like making their money from music. Like, I mean, fucking kudos because that, that's a really, really hard thing to do. And that is true, especially nowadays. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably why he's in Yakima and he's doing like shows in Idaho because he can still actually play every once in a while. Right. Know? So he still makes all his money from, from his, his gigs, you know, and right. has for, for years. Um, so, all right. So I, I don't want to keep you too much longer here. What was the uh, second question? Um, I wanted to talk about Angels of Dresden just a little bit, like the future, you know, what, what you see happening there. And then the second question was a piece of trivia or whatnot about Bad Bad Brad. Okay. So with Angels of Dresden, um, we have a new label, Soon mm -hmm. Records, which is... Mm -hmm. um, part of the Sony, the Orchard uh, mm -hmm. distribution family. Right. So once again, I'm back at Sony. Mm -hmm. Perfect. <laughs> Maybe. I think we'll all see. my enemies at Sony have, have been let go. So I think I'm in, in safe hands. Isn't Hart still on Sony? You know, I don't know. I don't well, know. You might, you might have checked into that just in case. Just in case the, <laughs> the Wilson sisters are like, no, fuck that dude. Nope. <laughs> Not letting his band on. Um, so they're after an album. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And I didn't want to do an album with Angels of Dressing, but I've been forced into a situation where it's primed for doing such a thing. Because mm -hmm. um, this is Washington State and we'll be the last state um to be unfazed. Right. Definitely. Uh, so what better time than now than continue on and do more stuff? Mm -hmm. uh, they want to release it so badly. They're talking about an EP and I'm not, I'd be fine with an EP. Mm -hmm. I, but yeah, we're just, we're spending most of our time. Um, we're already working on the next single. And we release these singles in streaming only. And as you know, a stream will get you 0.000012 right. of a cent right. per stream. If if you're lucky, some people make even less than that. Well, but yeah. Doomsday for Angels of Dresden, I was really stoked. Mm -hmm. uh, but because we we're teetering on a million streams. So mm -hmm. I was all set to go. Um, by the new house <laughs> right and and then i checked my ASCAP, and then i checked the streaming reports and saw those fractions of a penny mm -hmm. to date i for doomsday which features mike mccready i think that's one mm -hmm. of the reasons we had um uh nearly a million streams uh 22 dollars and 35 cents sounds about right yeah it's amazing the way that works. 
you know, I used but, to hear nightmares about things like Tin Pan Alley. Mm-hmm. That was the heyday, man. Yeah. You, you'd get yeah, a they, dime for a song. That's more than I'm getting off uh, the streaming things. Yeah. It's, it's big tech, and I won't get into that. No, 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 no. Although, you know, I'm going to have you back on at some point because I'd, I'd love to talk in more depth about some of this stuff. Well, we um, will get back together because it's either 2021 or 2022 is the 30th anniversary for War Babies. Oh, perfect. That's great. That's and great. we've been talking and then the pandemic hit. So it may be mm-hmm. a 2022 celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tommy McMullen uh, found six songs that didn't make the album or were slated for the follow-up album mm-hmm. that are all studio quality uh that we're talking about relicensing the album and and doing no, an that's great thing. that's great and we didn't even get a chance to talk about war babies um but well I, that, that'll be coming up because pretty soon we're at the 30-year mark yeah no i i love it i love it um so i i'm going to give a shout out you know, in the description and whatnot for, you know, Angels of Dresden and whatever I can find for TKO that people can look at. Um, and definitely War Babies. So I'll, I'll link to all that stuff, you know, down yeah. below. Um, but last question, Brad, before I let you go. A piece of trivia about you or, or one of your bands that nobody would know. It doesn't have to be clean. It can be anything you want. Oh. I almost replaced Kevin Dubrow in Quiet Riot. I think I've heard that story somewhere. So just tell me a little bit. Uh, I got a call from John Vassalou from Warren Entner Management. Mm-hmm. And this was 87. Mm-hmm. And Kevin had been separated from Quiet Riot. They're looking for a new singer. And Vasilou says, hey, would you be interested in singing for Quiet Riot? Mm -hmm. And nothing was happening with TKO at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I said, yeah, I'd be interested in that. So they flew me down. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had our meeting at a rock and bowl for charity. Oh, yeah? And... Benelli definitely was in charge of the band. You can always tell. That's what I've heard. When yeah. you sit sit down with a group of people, you oh, there's the leader right there. Right. You, you can tell immediately. And uh, Chuck Wright, I think, was a bass player then. He was very mm-hmm. quiet. In fact, everybody else was quiet. It was, it was Frankie uh, dishing out all the questions. And it was a good grilling. Right. Um, but I had heard... Uh, probably three, four songs from the album they were currently working on with the other singer that didn't work out. Right. But there's fucking horns in it. Now you can have (laughs) horns in rock, you know, like Pete Townsend does, and that works. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I'm not a big fan of most horns in the middle of metal. Not at all. Um, And the killer question from Frankie was what suggestion would you have for this band at this time? Mm-hmm. And I'd had a couple of beers. So I was honest. I said, well, the first thing I would do 
is I'd cover my bases and go back to what you were doing, which was basic fucking meat and potatoes rock. Right. Dead silence. That was it. <laughs> which they ended up doing. Gig. I didn't get the gig. You know, but, what, what but like I... years later, I, I ran into Frankie because he was managed by Warren Entner. And mm-hmm. after War Babies left Kelly Curtis, we were looking for a manager. Took took Warren Etner because he was also managing Faith No More. He's kind mm-hmm. of a big shot. Sure. Um, but Frankie and I got along. It, it's a big loss losing Frankie. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my my favorite stories ever is of when they were basically forced into recording. You know, come on, feel the noise and. You know the, the the story goes that they hated it so much that they were like, "Let's do this the shittiest way we possibly can." You know, so they did. They were like, you know, except for Frankie, right? So this is the story goes like he was like, "No, man, like I I can't play shitty. Like I have to play good. Like you know, I my my psychology will not allow me to play shitty." So he's playing. You know, Kevin is basically just like you know, in in his words, basically like jacking off on the mic. You know, everyone's like whatever and the story whether true or not it's become part of folklore is that first take they did which they were like we, we're gonna do so bad the label's gonna say no you know don't put the song on the album that was the take that went on the album right and it became you know, like by far their biggest hit right you know so yeah just funny funny shit <laughs> don't Brad. add this edit this next part out my well, wait, 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 hold on. Let me, um, um, let's wrap this up and then you can, t- I'll, I'll end okay. the recording and then we can have a conversation. Okay. So Brad, first of all, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And it was uh, a pleasure to be here. This is one of the easier talk arounds I've had to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like, it's I like said, sitting at a bar with you. That's, that's the point, man. And that's we're social point. distancing. That's right. Yeah. By, by. 231 miles so um well just to be sure yeah there you go there you go i don't even have mine with me um if there's anyone else you you think i should talk to let's talk and and you know we'll go from there um otherwise i'd love to have you back on uh you know whenever and you know the next several months or whatever we can we can work that out in the coming months we'll be coming around and hitting you up for uh, the 30th anniversary for war babies I love it. Hey, and Brad. We'll just focus on that and not 45 years worth of. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm going to kill this recording order. here and then we can keep talking on Zoom for a couple of minutes. All right, brother. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.